you don't have to do real estate. And so that, that was one sort of uh, like story where I was un, uninformed. It, it turned out that wasn't going to be a good house. It was poor timing as well. But along the way, I also learned that I don't like the real estate portion and it takes more work. Yes, you can set things up in a passive way and have a property management company and all that stuff. But, and this is the part where it may like upset people. I don't like working with real estate agents or mortgage brokers or anyone along the way. Half, I mean, I sent back so many documents where the title company and uh, some of the closing documents, just the math was wrong. Like they screwed up on the spreadsheets. It's literally their job. And I'm some, you know, just some dude who doesn't know anything about real estate. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Doug, welcome to the Better Wealth Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm pumped to be here. We met, I, I forget who connected us at FinCon, but within two minutes, I was like, you are number one, an amazing neighbor to have in Colorado. Number two, you have a really amazing perspective about life. You have a lot of financial successes and failures that we can talk about and you've done a lot in your life and you're very, very humble. And I was just like, man, I, I could talk to you all day and that's usually a, a telltale sign that it would make a really good podcast. And so with that, welcome to the show. I am very pumped to talk about what intentional living looks like. I'm, I'm pumped to talk about financial freedom, business hacks, why real estate has downsides and and so much more man so thank you for being on wonderful intro and i hope i can live up to it i think it was uh rachel that introduced us and the feeling was mutual um so yeah it's, it's great to have you as a neighbor in colorado here so it's a lot of times i like to ask how your parents met because it gives me context um on your backstory we don't have to go back that far but tell me about who you are why you do what you do and a lot of times story our backstory becomes like our core values of why we do what we do in the future. And so if, if I was in an elevator with you on a very long building and I said, Doug, what's your story? How would you start? Well, I'll, I'll go back. Not quite when my parents met, but I'm from Georgia originally and lived there, you know, my whole life up until like 2015 or so. And at that point to bring in the intentional living, my wife and I decided to head out west. We were lucky enough to work remotely. So we had some flexibility to travel, slow travel. And we went to Montana just to visit. We thought we were going to end up here in the Boulder County area of Colorado, but we really liked Bozeman, Montana. So we just stayed there because it was beautiful. The people were great. Not much traffic up there because it was a smaller population. And we we lived and worked there for about four years until my wife got a great job offer down here in the front range area, which we really enjoyed. So we, we moved down and that was sort of the start of like the intentional living and making some big decisions because up until that point, I just kind of took whatever the world like handed to me. And I was fairly complacent, um, minorly successful with the complacency, which is not, not too bad. I uh, went to Georgia tech, got an engineering degree, did ma management consulting for a few years and got into project management. So I had kind of a corporate, uh, 
typical worker bee situation. And it was fine, but it really wasn't making me very happy. And I accidentally found the Smart Passive Income podcast. Have you checked that out? Have you run into yep. that one? Is Are we talking about Pat Flynn? Yep, Pat yes. Flynn. One of my first podcasts I ever stumbled upon and ultimately inspired me to be an entrepreneur and to start investing. So, yes. And he's the gateway podcast drug for so many of us to like start dabbling and getting into it. And I, I literally had no interest in entrepreneurship or side hustles or making money online or any of the things that I learned within like a week or two. And this was back in 2013. So I'm deep into my corporate career, discovered this podcast and kind of got obsessed. I would listen to everything that I could uh, had a couple jumping off points to follow some other people, but within, I would say four to six weeks, I launched my first blog and got really excited and, you know, I had several failures before I figured it out. And I mean, I'm still trying to figure it out, but I had a couple things that hit and that was Amazon affiliate marketing. And that worked out pretty well for me. And I kept side hustling until about 2015. And that's when I got laid off and decided to take it full time. So that's what I do nowadays. I have actually a couple podcasts, a YouTube channel, a blog, and I've earned money with um, affiliate marketing and I have a couple online courses. So a, a really wide range of things that I didn't even know I was interested in and started at square one zero. I didn't know anything about any of the items that I just listed. And I, I love the work that I do now. And it's, it's fun work that I enjoy. Let's talk about blogging because I was one of the many ignorant people out there um, who thought blogs were dead. All right. You could, you could send all the hate my way. I, I never enjoyed reading. So I was already ignorant on the topic. I go to FinCon and I'm telling you, there's the TikTokers, there's the YouTubers, there's the other people, the podcasters, and all the, the wealthy people are the bloggers. <laughs> and so I'm like, what? There's, there's a trend here that I missed. Um, what, let's talk about blogging. Like, would you even recommend starting a blog? What do, what do you need to do to be successful? And then let's talk about affiliate marketing because I think affiliate marketing is one of the most win-win scenarios. I mean, if you believe in something and you can figure out, out a way to promote it and get paid for that, by in a sense, bettering someone's life, if you truly believe in the product, man, that's the definition of a win-win and blogs are just an amazing leverage point. So why don't, I'll give you just the opportunity to talk about that business, the pros and cons of that. And there's, there's probably a couple, maybe homeschool moms listening to this that are like, Hey, I should start blogging and bring in another form of income. Yes. And I would encourage people to think about the medium that they are best or most comfortable at producing and what they like to consume too. So I mentioned I am in blogging and YouTube and podcasting, and I slowly branched out. It took several years for me to do that. So you, no one think that you have to do all three or anything, but you know, starting out, it is tough to put yourself out there. You have to figure out your voice, whether it's literally on a podcast or in the written word. And I, I would focus on what you're best at producing and you enjoy the most. For some people, doing video will be terrifying and you can work your way into it. It was actually terrifying for me, but eventually you get used to you know, whatever you're producing. The, one of the great parts with blogging is 
you can potentially get organic free traffic, SEO search engine traffic from Google or other search engines kind of on a long term basis that you don't have to have any paid ads for on any platform. And that's really awesome. Now, the hard part is sometimes it takes a pretty long time for a piece of content to rank on Google and Google is changing their algorithm kind of on a daily basis and sometimes in a major way a few times a year. So that could impact your you know, journey and it, it might take six months before you get significant traffic. Now, the sort of converse and, and pulling in uh, like podcasting or YouTube, you potentially can get a larger following more quickly depending on you know, what the content is about. Um, I think true crime podcasts are really popular and maybe you're into that and that would be a great route to go. Or over on YouTube or TikTok or you know, whatever platform you enjoy, you may be able to get traction a little more quickly. So I'll pause there. That's kind of the, the blogging side of things. What, how do you make money on a blog? So two main ways, affiliate marketing uh, is one of them. So you refer someone to a product. Um, I got started in Amazon affiliate marketing. So it would be like a review for like the best wireless mouse. I'm not creative. I just happen to have a wireless mouse next to me. And maybe you have a review on that and you can recommend like the specific kind of mouse to a person um, that lands on your website. And then you get a commission if the person makes a purchase after clicking your affiliate link. And there are affiliate programs for almost anything you could buy online. So that would even go to uh, like online courses or software products or physical products that are purchased, you know, outside of Amazon. So that could be like from REI, Walmart has an affiliate program, Target does as well. And I mean, it could even be for credit cards. I mean, it might be called something a little bit different, but essentially you're referring a customer over to a company and then you get a commission. So like you said, it can be win-win if you're actually using the product and you like it and you can give a proper endorsement and a thorough review. That's sort of the best case scenario. The you know, weird downside, uh, if people have Googled like how to make money online, there's a lot of scam artists out there and there's some sort of multi-level marketing slash pyramid scheme situations. So you do have to watch out. And I am in that world where, you know, it's hard to tell sometimes who's telling the truth. And that's one great thing with podcasting and YouTube is it builds a huge amount of trust. And I have hundreds of episodes and like over a thousand YouTube videos. So people can kind of figure out if they could trust me or not, or if they like me or not, which, you know, yeah. there's hundreds of hours to figure it out. That's right. The yeah. other way to make money on a blog is uh, with display ads. So we've all seen those. Sometimes they're really obnoxious. Sometimes little videos pop up and um, it's a great way to make money as well. There's uh, different ad platforms that help you serve up those ads and, and pay you and all that kind of stuff. And they can help you earn more money uh, based on the, the content that you have and maybe the placement of the ads. So those are the, the two main ways. Um, the other way, the even better way is if you can sell your own products. So my online courses are great because there's no you know middle person in there. Right. I 
have my audience and I can sell things directly to them. And that that's the best, you know, there's no fat in there. It's perfect. Yep. And that's, that's the approach that we're taking is uh, the, the work with the better wall show is ultimately to build awareness for our company. And, and one out of a thousand people might be like, Hey, I actually want to learn more about this better wealth company. And, and so that is translated into a lot of great friendships, money, opportunity, and, and our show is relatively small compared to all the, a lot of people I met a couple of months ago and, and it just, it's inspiring and it's exciting to see what, what comes, um, and what the future can hold if you stay consistent and continue to be true to who you are. Um, so many things I want to mention. One other thing on this subject is I, I, I've heard that like a TikTok view is worth less than a YouTube view. Mainly, I, I don't know this to be true, but I would, I would assume it's because of the attention. And it's like when you're on TikTok, maybe you're just like scrolling through, whereas on YouTube, you have to be maybe a little bit more intentional. I would, and then I think a podcast listen is more valuable than a YouTube view because there's less distractions. I would say a blog click and view is is more valuable than all of those because of the quality of person. Most likely, if you're clicking on a blog, you're like in research mode. Have you found that to be true? Is there stats to back that up? And is that why there was a theme? Like a lot of bloggers that I met, not only like they're they sold their blogs for millions and millions of dollars, and they make really good money writing. And I just, I'm seeing the theme and I'm like, okay, I don't want to be ignorant to this trend. You definitely hit on something there. I think the great advantage with blog traffic when it comes from Google is you know exactly what the searcher's intent was when they landed on the blog. So sometimes, you know, they may end up in some weird rabbit hole and they don't care about your content. But if someone searches for, best wireless mouse for digital nomads on a Mac. Like you, you kind of nailed exactly what the person's looking for and you could speak their language and talk about, you know, why it's so important if you're living in a van to have a specific kind of mouse because blah, blah, blah. So on YouTube, there's so many distractions and I, I really like the podcast format because if someone is actually tuning in and listening, they're probably listening to most of the episode unless yeah. the guest drones on for too long. So I got to be aware of that. But generally, like they're, they're hooked in. They want to listen to your show. And on YouTube, even if I'm watching a YouTuber that I really like, I'm looking at these suggested videos. If I'm bored for like two or three seconds, and I even like the person, if I'm totally. bored for a 10 totally. seconds, I'm going to click off and I may come back and watch it later, but it, there's so many distractions and yeah, TikTok, it's, uh, whew, that'll get you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I'm with you. I, there are people that I will listen to their full podcast and they'll have that same podcast on YouTube. And if my retention is just a lot less, and I just think there's a lot more distractions, anything else that you want to talk about the blog world, the internet marketing world, the making money world. Like I, I find that fascinating. We don't talk a lot about that. And I'm just, I want to encourage my audience guys, if you're into a niche topic, the internet opens up the doors to a lot of people. And that's, that's probably the beauty of the internet versus 40 years ago, you wouldn't be able to thrive on a super narrow topic. Right. Yeah. I would say you nailed it, Caleb. If, if someone is interested in, you know, whatever format they're most comfortable with, if they are really passionate about a certain topic, 
go for it. And, and don't worry if you think it's too saturated. I started a blog and all, like a lot of my business is in the same area that Smart Passive Income and Pat Flynn is in. And he's huge and he has a lot of peers and, and competitors. And I'm in the same little world. I started from nothing and slowly through persistence and being naive enough to think that I could actually do something. It has worked out wonderfully. And I've you know, met great people and, you know, kept building upon things that I was working on before. So even if you think it's a little saturated or why would people pay attention to you, they will, they will. And you, you will need to figure things out, but they'll come to you because you're, you're you, that's the spin that you put on it. Even if you're talking about some of the same topics that other people have. That's right. That's right. And it's, it's legit. So I encourage everyone to lean into that and get really clear on what they truly want out of life. There's so many things that we could talk about. Uh, I love asking people that I admire what their framework of money slash wealth is. And my first question is, how do you, how do you define wealth for you, your family, and what you're up to? So I, I usually don't think about that. So I'll think out loud here, which is kind of funny because I, I guess once I got to a spot where I had the systems in place and I was comfortable with it, I didn't think about it anymore. So I would say just wealth in general is sort of the, the money that you're accumulating. And like I said, I don't think about it too much, which is kind of odd. Could, could you say, I'm just, I'm just verbal, verbalizing out loud here. Could you say that wealth is not having to think about money and living on your terms? That's a, I'm going to steal that answer. Can I just take it? Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm giving you, you, you verbalized it in an indirect way, but I think I, I want to just vet, like vet you for my audience. Like you are financially independent and it's a beautiful world to live in when you're truly creating, living life on your terms, not worrying about money. Cause if you were worrying about money that might show up in your content, you might sell out in a certain way, or you might do things that you're really not passionate about, but you feel like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta do that. And so, um, I, I think that's a great definition. Thank you. Well, what do you, what do you say? How do you define it for yourself? I, I think it's living intentionally and an intentional life looks different for each person. And we really audit the people that you're spending time with the, the, how you're spending your resources. And really, I would hope that you're, you're spending time, money, and your potential on the things that you truly value in life. And if you're doing that, that's, that's wealth in my books. And for some people, it's not that much money. And some people, it is a lot of money. And that's why I have to be careful about, I, I can't say X amount of money per month is what you need because, you know, some people like private jets. Some right. people like me are elite on frontier and, you know, don't, don't necessarily need to, to fly private. And, and so everyone's a little bit different. I'm not going to judge that person. I just want them to be intentional in what they, what they truly want out of life. Perfect. Um, let's talk about framework after that. So wealth is not having to think about money. I love that. Um, what, how do you think of it? Like, how are you thinking about the systems? You've, you've mentioned systems. You mentioned earlier on that you got to a point where you didn't have to work for the dollar. I think a lot of people are like, their ears are perking and going, okay, tell me more. Let's talk about what things you did with your time and your money that put you in that scenario. So early on, early in my career, I was maxing out my 401k. So whatever it was in, you know, 15 years ago, 
it's probably like seventeen thousand dollars. So, so I was maxing it out for the first couple of years, and that with compound interest, as most of us know, really pays off. It's hard to tell in the beginning. I was investing in a time when the stock market wasn't reacting like how it is in the last few years. And it didn't seem like it was really doing much. And I thought, am I wasting my money investing? Which seems crazy if you look at the stock market in the last couple of years. And that was you know, a huge advantage. I tapered back after maybe uh, two or three years, and I probably just put in enough to match my employer's contribution. So pretty normal stuff. I didn't get an HSA going. Uh, I had a Roth, which I think I was maxing out. But overall, I didn't do anything like super unusual. I did work for about 10 years. So obviously over time that compounds and things were fine. I didn't do you know too much else until my wife and I started to earn a little bit more and accumulate a little bit more money. And I wasn't happy with the advisor that, that I had because in my own 401k that I was managing, I was like doing better. I was outperforming them. And then her advisor was sort of like the, the family's advisor and worked with her uh, parents and, and siblings and stuff. And he wasn't doing as well either. So I think we stumbled upon the Mr. Money Mustache blog, like many of us do. And this is probably 2014 or so. And we had way too much cash on hand because we just, we weren't acting. We thought, well, maybe we should trust the experts, but they weren't doing so good. We browsed a couple articles and kind of got a handle, arrived at the index fund. So typically Vanguard index funds, but any you know flavor is fine. And we've just kind of kept the route. And from 2014 until the last couple of years, the market has done pretty well. We've continued to earn more money. Turns out after I got laid off, I made a lot more money than I could have if I stayed in the, in the same corporate job. And that kind of accelerated things a little bit just because I was earning you know, double or more whatever I had at the corporate job. Would you say that you're a saver slash frugal? Not specifically. So I actually, out of school, out of college, I had a little bit of uh, debt, not too much, maybe 12K in student loans. And then I mostly worked through college. So I didn't have too much. It was just the first year when someone said I should definitely get a loan, but it turns out I didn't even need it. So, and I had a little bit of rolling credit card debt where I would pay it off and then rack it back up to like 5K and then pay it off. So it was kind of a weird, I don't know why I did that. And once I got married, my wife is a very good saver and she kind of got me Cut on that board. Pretty quick. Yeah, she was like, what? why do you even have that debt? Blah, blah, blah. So we got in good shape and then slowly accumulated. And as far as being frugal, we actually, you know, like to spend on certain things. So we, you know, maybe went out to eat a little bit more, but it turns out we like eating in and I enjoy cooking. Um, for the people that aren't watching video, I have like a couple of nice guitars behind me and I enjoy guitars and sometimes they're expensive. So it's really about, you know, intentionally figuring out what the priority is and then, you know, ignoring the other stuff. I have a 16 year old F-150 that uh, I don't drive too much, 
and it's paid off. And obviously, well, it's an old beater pickup truck. So um, it's been paid off for many years. So cars are not super important to me, but I don't, I wouldn't judge anyone if they want to get a very expensive car. That's just the thing that is important for them. Yeah. You, you could save money and move to Kansas, but you know, Colorado has, has its perks. So uh, sorry for any, any of my listeners in Kansas. We, I love you. Um, but I don't understand why you live there. Um, (laughs) anyways, man, there's, there's so much here. I'm, we don't have to talk about real numbers, but when it comes to financial freedom, whatever the, the equation for me is having enough cash flow to maintain, maintain your current standard of living. And hopefully that standard of living is your intentional life. And if not, there's, there's tweaks that can happen. And so we, we have a two line graph graph number line. Number one shows you what your current standard of living. And we can find that out by just asking you what you spend. And then line two just takes that assumption, whether it's an index funds in your business or whatever, and, and puts that and you can see most people are not imbalanced. Most of the people that we met in Austin are probably imbalanced because they're, um, they've just done really, really well. Um, my question for you is, um, when it comes to active income versus, you know, I call it leveraged income. Uh, some people call it passive income. What is that equation for you? Like, are you still living off of a lot of active activities? And or what would happen if you stopped working completely, all your blogs, all that stuff? I don't know if that's even a fair thing to mention. What would happen if that active stopped? What would what would your financial life look like and what would your strategy be? Gotcha. So we we basically have hit the sort of four percent rule benchmark. And we are we hit that a couple of years ago. And that, for the people that don't know, is sort of based on your expenses, your hopefully your annual expenses. You can multiply that by 25 to get your 4% rule and, and sort of the nest egg that you need to have if you have it in an index fund. So we arrived at that point and you know, we would potentially want to spend a little bit more or have even more flexibility. So we have continued to work and like I mentioned earlier, I actually like what I do. And one thing that I have done is to sort of cut out things that I don't enjoy. So I'm really just working on the best things that I really want to work on. And my wife has a W2 job, which she also enjoys. So if we, you know, if if she stopped working and, and we turned off the things that I have, we would be fine on our, you know, nest egg on index funds. There are certain, you know, more passive pieces of my business. Obviously, doing a podcast and YouTube channel that is fairly active, but the courses, for example, I can really just sell them again and it would be a minor amount of work to market them again. But I've already done all that work in the past, which is the beauty of online courses. You just produce it once, it's a digital product, you can sell it an unlimited number of times. The overhead for hosting the courses is, you know, really nominal. So, so if we stopped, we'd be in good shape. That's cool. I appreciate you breaking that down because a lot of people aren't willing to actually walk through that. And I think it is always inspiring to be like, like it's possible, and and it's really really encouraging that number one, you're you're doing things that you love. I think sometimes we like to 
create enemies at like a W2 income or, you know, having to work. It's like, no, I don't, I don't think you guys have to do anything. Um, there's, there's fulfillment that comes along with that and you have the ultimate freedom because if that changes, you can make a change in your life, which is, which is incredible. But every piece of blog, video, podcast, you're creating a digital real estate that may not last forever, but will last a while. And each one of those, if, if it's all optimized and, and I know, you know, a thing or two about optimization and keyword research, um, you're every it's like it's a compounded effort um which is which is amazing a lot of people that listen to this and watch this are big fans of investing in themselves where do you draw the line of investing yourselves versus investing in an index fund because i think it's i think it's really difficult because there there's always quote unquote success stories and then there's some people that are throwing money down a black hole and it's like i don't know i can't just give a blanket piece of advice how do you how do you have that conversation if someone comes up to you and says, "Hey, like, I I'm making X. I really want to do X, Y, or Z, but that would that would mean I can't invest." How do you have that conversation? Typically, and I'm thinking of this in the form of online courses because I've invested in a few, and oftentimes they were, if it's under say five hundred dollars, I didn't think too much about it. I would go ahead and buy that course, especially if it's. I can learn a thing that I can implement and it's pretty clear there will be an ROI on the other side, but I've invested in some sort of softer skill courses where maybe it's not a direct ROI, but it's just a helpful thing. And sometimes those courses are say two to $5,000, which is nothing to sneeze at. You have to you know, think about that. Is that going to be worth it at the end of the day? So typically I, you know, created a, budget for the year, which I don't have to use, but, you know, I think it was probably about $5,000. And if a particular course came out at a certain time and it fit with my plans for say launching something else or needing to promote something in a certain way, I would figure out how to justify spending that money. So the other part is thinking about that ROI. So like I mentioned, sometimes it was a not a direct correlation. So that would be a little bit tougher. Like I, I actually purchased a course from, I don't remember who it was, but Pat Flynn got my affiliate revenue because I, I purchased it through his link. And it was about giving talks and, and going sort of on the talking or the speaking circuit and going to conferences and all that stuff. And uh, funny enough, it was right before COVID. So I was scheduled, I was invited to speak at a conference that was going to be held in the New York Google office, but it was canceled because it was like April, 2020. But, you know, that was one where there's not a direct correlation for an ROI, but you can see the the path that sure would be helpful to build the audience and meet more people and network and all that stuff. So look, thinking about it that way, it's like that, that is an investment. I can clearly see that that should pay off mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah. I think there's a form of self-awareness. I think there's wisdom in having a person to talk about it. That's neutral. Um, I think it's important to think with the end in mind with the budget. Um, and I also think it never hurts to ask for a discount. <laughs> like oh, right. I, when I was, when I was young, I 17 year old Caleb was learning about options and there's someone that I want to learn from, but they had a $4,000 course. I, I didn't have 4,000 to spend on that. 
So I just reached out and they didn't give me the course, but they gave me a program and I learned quite a bit for free. And I, and I didn't, I gave them the, the I'm a 17 year old sob story, but I, but it was like, I don't think many 17 year olds were directly finding the person, finding their email, emailing them why they want to learn from them and asking like if, if they could like get it for a discount and they ended up giving me a portion for free. And so I share that because I'm a big fan of investing in yourself. It's 2021, maybe 2022 when you're watching or listening to this, it's like, you can find out a lot of amazing info for free. And, and that's, that's just another thing where it's like Google and YouTube and podcasting can be our friend. Oh yeah, definitely. I feel like you can learn just about anything on YouTube these days. So I want to talk about real estate because uh, the, the same people that are saying invest in yourself business, which I'm a big, big fan on. I, I don't want to send mixed signals. I, I'm a fan of investing in, but I, I believe you are your greatest asset. And so making sure that you don't devalue yourself in the way that you think about money. I think uh, that's pretty universal. Um, a lot of, of people that I run into are very pro real estate. I have a lot of them on the show. They love real estate because when set up properly, it can appreciate, it can create cash flow. You can use leverage. It has special tax advantages, lots of great things. But I feel like the conversation becomes super simple. And it almost, it almost sometimes feels like this. You read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and you're like, oh, I want to be financially free. I need enough passive income to cover my expenses. Oh, I should buy real estate. So you go buy real estate and sometimes it works out and sometimes it turns into a nightmare because there wasn't, there were steps that were being missed. Talk, let's talk about that because I have a lot of pro real estate people on. I don't have very many con or people that have negative stories. And I feel like uh, our audience needs to understand the pros and cons to real estate. Okay. So first I'll probably make some people upset, <laughs> but it's, it's in good spirits. And yes. I, I have so many friends that just love real estate and it's totally fine. Like people like what they like and it's fantastic. So I'll, I'll take you back to uh, my, my parents again. So I think they bought their first house in about 1980 and they, they did pretty well with it. And they, I think they refinanced to a 15 year mortgage. So they paid it off early. They started renting it out as we moved to a, a different home. And then they've been renting it out for whatever, like 30 years or something. So it's been a great sort of cash flow for them. And I grew up as a young kid seeing that and you know my dad collecting rent and, and all that so it was exactly what i wanted to do i thought this is perfect i'll buy my first house i'll do the same exact thing fast forward to 2005 i purchased a home at the end of the year and uh what turned out to be a really bad time to buy a home and it dropped in value very quickly um just a couple of years and I was upside down, got married, moved out of there. And I was like, okay, I'll rent it out. And the, the math didn't work out. I didn't know about like the 1% rule and some other, I just didn't know. I thought this is an up and coming area. All my friends are buying houses. This seems like a good idea. And it, it just didn't work out. So I actually lost money, you know, like a few hundred bucks per month for a couple of years renting out the place. Wow. And this was you know, just propping it up. I mean, you, you could see this wasn't going to work out and the house was 
upside down by probably like 50K or so. And I tried to renegotiate with the, the mortgage company, but I, you know, because I was renting it out, it was technically an investment property. I didn't qualify for any of the bailout um, like exemptions. So I was just were, stuck were with you, it. Was it a 30 year loan or was it a 15 or? You... It was, it was a 30 year loan. Okay. It was a 30 year loan. And I got one of those great mortgages or multiple mortgages. Cause I financed a hundred percent of it. I actually oh, wow. put more down on my car. This was back in the glory days in uh, the early two thousands when they were given loans to everybody. So, and was it a variable rate? No, it, oh, wow. it was okay. fixed, but like the, I think our, our interest rate at this house in uh, Longmont is something like, uh, it's like three, 3%, something like that. And back then I think I had like, it was like 6.25 if oh. people can imagine it's yeah. crazy with the rates now. So the, the ending of the story is we finally I just decided to let it go into a strategic foreclosure. So I have a foreclosure on my record, which, right, it's really hard to get good information on that because everyone will say, no, like, don't do that. And if you, I actually Googled like a person would, and any information was from bankers and, and mortgage companies and people that stand to lose money. So of course they would say, don't do that. Sure, it can hurt your credit rating and all that. Turns out, because I had no other debt, you know, we weren't planning on borrowing money in the foreseeable future. So we decided it was a risk worth taking. My credit score only dropped about a hundred points, mm. so it was still over seven hundred, mm. which is insane. So I had a foreclosure. I didn't borrow money for you know any years. Uh, or sorry, for within seven years, because okay. it's, it's on your record for seven years. So every everything worked out fine. It's now off my record. If you wanted to borrow money within the seven years, would that have been a problem? I think if I tried to get a mortgage on a home, it would have been a problem. Okay. I think any other loan would have just been like a higher interest rate. Okay. But it, it like we also knew that if we wanted to buy another place, like my wife could buy it in in her name and it would be fine. And that's actually what we did in Bozeman. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, so, so the moral of the story on real estate is. Basically you don't have to do real estate. And so that, that was one sort of uh, like story where I was un, uninformed. It, it turned out that wasn't going to be a good house. It was poor timing as well. But along the way, I also learned that I don't like the real estate portion and it takes more work. Yes, you can set things up in a passive way and have a property management company and all that stuff. But, and this is the part where it may like upset people. I don't like working with real estate agents or mortgage brokers or anyone along the way. Half, I mean, I sent back so many documents where the title company and uh, I, some of the closing documents, just the math was wrong. Like they screwed up on the spreadsheets. It's literally their job. And I'm some, you know, just some dude who doesn't know anything about real estate. You are and an engineer, would... by the way. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know some math. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I could do that. And yeah. now that I'm thinking back, when we sold our place in Bozeman, I sold it myself. We didn't use a real estate agent. And the specific agent we were uh, selling to, she was 
fairly condescending the whole time until we got the leverage because there were multiple buyers interested. And then I was able, I mean, then I had the leverage, so she couldn't be a jerk anymore, mm. which felt nice. I mean, I was professional yeah. and we, we did the deal, but she stopped treating me like an idiot basically because, well, I mean, I, I was ignorant on the process, but yeah. people wanted to buy homes. So the, I think the overall moral is if you enjoy like looking at real estate, if you enjoy uh, maybe live in flips, uh, one of my friends, I mean, that's what they do. They really love like fixing up a home. So if, if there's things that you like, definitely go for it. But I realized everything in the process stresses me out. I, I am not a fixer upper. I don't want to go look at other places. I don't want to move into a home that needs you know tons of renovations. So, you know, figure out what you like and, and stick with that. And, and I love all the people that are doing real estate stuff. This market right now would make me a little scared at the time that we're recording this. Yeah. But. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And whenever I, I don't have a quote that comes to my mind, but you know, like the concept of like, whenever so-and-so that knows nothing is talking about a trade, you know, you got to get out. Um, yep. I feel like I have a lot of friends that are talking about real estate that probably shouldn't do real estate. And that's kind of when you're like, Oh, this, this, uh, tulips don't always go up. All right. And, <laughs> Uh, but what one thing I will say, just just to even out this conversation, is other thing, other other assets would be I think skyrocketing as well if you could utilize leverage, and and one of the things if you I mean if you look at the Federal Reserve, look at inflation. I mean I had a guest pretty much say that the a mortgage is a short on the American dollar that's getting less and less valuable. The frustrating thing is it's like impossible to get a business loan. It's like, you're, you'll be 18 years old and clueless and they'll loan you all kinds of money for college, right? Oh yeah, it's like, here's credit cards, all these things. And then it's like, oh, I wanna start a business. And it's like, uh, sorry, um, you gotta figure out a way to you know, collateralize your firstborn or something to figure out how you're gonna pay this back. So one of the things that I just, I think we can have a dialogue is like, why is that? And if like, I'm a fan of businesses and I'm also a fan of investing. And I think you give hope to just people that are not real estate gurus that are like, oh, you can be financially free without real estate. But why do you think that is where banks won't loan money on things outside of real estate? I think there is the intrinsic value of real yeah. estate where sometimes a business, and I, I deal with online businesses. So if sometimes if those fall apart, the value is goes almost to zero. Right. With a piece of actual physical real yeah. estate, you do have that value. Right. Um, you can still, you know, greatly overpay like I did for my first right. home. But you know, I think that's the the big, the big asset. And then for for businesses, um, especially thinking of how dumb I was when I was 18, I could imagine I wouldn't know how to run a business, yeah, but sure. keeping a, you know, a home together and paying the taxes, like there's a lot of guardrails that kind of help yep. you stay on track. And I think running a business can be really tough if you haven't done it before. And depending on what sort of harebrained ideas like people may come up with, some are much better bets than others. Right. So I think, yeah, what do you I think? think? Yeah, okay. no, no, I think that's the, you're, you're spot on. I would say that the, the same thing. Um, I just would say that the reason why real estate is quote unquote so hot 
is because of uh, the mortgage system, is because of the banks. And and it's it's like, I believe that houses, the prices of a house are really correlated to interest rates. Because um, if you look at the income that people are getting, it's not like that is skyrocketed, but you can afford more house when the interest rates go down. And so my question will be, will interest rates stay at practically zero? What happens if interest rates go up? Are we seeing massive amounts of raises? Like are people becoming wealthier? Or are they just affording more of a home on, the, on their paycheck? And I just think it's one of those things where it's like, um, you could say, yeah, real estate just boomed the last you know, 30 years, which is true, but look at what happened to interest rates. So it's just, it's just one of those things where, yeah, the next 30 years, are we gonna have the same type of booming? Maybe, I just don't economically see wages doubling from a standpoint of that. So th those are my two cents on that. I think yeah. it's important to understand real estate, it's important to understand leverage, but I, I think it's really important to get give yourself permission to not have to buy into one way fits, you know, one size fits all kind of approach. And I do think that there's a lot of people in real estate that are getting in that are ignorant that kind of feel like, hey, if I can make this happen, I'm gonna become financially free. Right. And to, to jump back to the entrepreneurship angle, it's not really the idea. It's about implementing and executing the idea because yeah. you can have a an okay idea with a fantastic team that is really persistent and they can persevere for a long time and that'll outperform an even better idea with a so-so team so yeah. what do you think about that i i agree with that as well um if we if we had another conversation i would tell you i would geek out about buying and selling businesses if there's one thing that I, I want to lean into and become excellent at, it's that. I would give myself a C C minus, um, C for curiosity, uh, and I'm very much pursuing that. But but for me, I look at asset classes from from efficiency and, and friction, you know, and I see like the stock market very efficient, super efficient. Um, so it's it's hard to beat the market right? Real estate's a little bit less efficient. That's why if you know what you're doing, you have a way bigger chance than Doug, you know, in 2000, 2005, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think businesses, you, I, a lot of my mentors have created massive amounts of wealth because talk about inefficiencies. I mean, you probably consult and, and meet people all day long that have businesses that you're like, how in the world do you make money? And then you're like, if you tweak some things with keyword research, you um, optimize certain things on, you know, delivery, you figure out a better way to market, boom, you bring up that cash flow. And now with valuations, you know, and by the way, I don't think everyone should buy businesses. I think very few people listening to this should even think about it. It's just, it's one of those things, find, find something that you love and become excellent at it. And then learn, learn that money falls value. I'm, you probably, Ask me more questions on my show than any other guest. So, so thank you. And <laughs> it's a, I'm sorry if I'm doing too much talking, but I, I very much have enjoyed our conversation. I enjoyed it too. Yeah. A lot to learn from you. I, I end all my, uh, all my shows with, and, and before maybe ending, is there anything else that you want to talk about from business investing, anything else that you want to, you want to mention? No, I think we, we did a nice overview. Okay. What I love ending my shows with is what I call the legacy question. And the legacy question goes like this. If this is your last day on earth and you're with the people that you love the most, you can't give them any SOPs. You can't give them any books. You can't give them this podcast. 
you just have one last conversation. What are you going to make sure to highlight in that last conversation? I wish I would have known this question before. I'd probably make some uh, silly joke or something like that. <laughs> Let's see. Man, you really got me thinking. I, I, I am not sure. I think I would tell them, since it is my last day on earth, I would tell them to make sure they go do the stuff they want to do as soon as possible. Yeah. I think, I think that message is going to hit home with a lot of people because um, I, I mentioned this the other day that I think it resonated. It's like Warren Buffett is worth over $100 billion. He's also over 90 years old. I personally, Doug, would not trade places with him. I wouldn't. So on a macro level, my time on this earth, not, that's not even guaranteed, by the way, I value more than a hundred billion dollars. Like, think about that. And yet, I'm calling myself out on this. We devalue ourselves every single day by spending time with people that we really don't want to spend time with, by, you know, spending money, or by catching up with the Joneses. And so it's just really interesting to me that on a macro macro level, majority of people would be like, Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade places with a with Warren. Even, you know, who cares about money if you're gonna die soon? And yet, a lot of us would go to our deathbed not truly living the life that we want to live. So I appreciate you sharing that. Thanks. How can people find out more about you, your business, your follow? Like, how can people follow you and 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 all the amazing stuff that you're up to? All right. So I'm, I'm sure we'll have links for all of this, but I have uh, two podcasts. One is called Mile High Fi, and I have a co-host, Carl Jensen. You may know him from 1500days.com. He's Mr. 1500 Days. So he and I talk about financial independence, and we interview a lot of cool people. We've talked to JL Collins and uh, actually Carl's wife, Mindy Jensen, and a lot of other fun people like Alan Donegan and Katie Donegan as well. And I have another podcast where I talk about affiliate marketing and SEO. That's called The Doug Show. And I'm on YouTube as well. So people can check out tons of videos. And then finally, I do have that blog. It's called Niche Site Project. And I do talk about affiliate marketing and SEO there. And if you want to sign up for the email list, I give away like all my templates and systems and stuff like that. And it is, you know, kind of different than the things we talked about today. But if you're interested in online business and affiliate marketing, that's the place to go. Guys, I'm going to have the links down below. Make sure to give Doug some love. And I just really appreciate you taking time out of your um, busy day to be on the show, to share your experiences, to to really be authentic, man. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate your friendship. Thanks so much. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.